Joining us for a conversation is Giant Bhandari, the founder of Capitalism and Morality, and he is also a highly sought-out advisor to institutional investors. Today, we will travel the globe to get some insights on geopolitical events that are taking shape that may impact you, along with some arbitrage opportunities for your portfolio, and see how philosophy impacts the aforementioned. Mr. Bhandari, welcome to the show, sir. Uh, thanks very much for having me, Maurice. <laughs> well, before we begin, I want to remind audience members that when you and I last spoke in February, you addressed Sri Lanka and the challenges their economy is having with its currency. And I believe it was two months later that the mainstream media began to provide coverage on that very topic. So I wanted to thank you for your valuable insights as they allow many of us to have an invent, I should say, an advanced introspective of the world. Speaking of Sri Lanka, what are the latest developments there? Uh, uh, Maurice, uh, Sri Lanka is falling apart, uh, but also remember that uh, the per capita GDP of Sri Lanka is about twice as much as that of an average third world country. So now if you project what is happening in Sri Lanka and what might be happening in the other third world countries in the future, you realize that the situation of other third world countries is far more horrendous than that of what is happening in Sri Lanka. Now the only reason Sri Lanka has a civil war kind of situation right now is because Sri Lankans are relatively brave enough and courageous enough to come out and fight with their government when the government fails to perform. The other people, let's say people in Zimbabwe or people in Pakistan or or India, don't even have that courage to come out and strip off, uh, literally strip off clothes of their uh, ministers and government servants and throw them out and burn them, them away. Now, I'm not suggesting that people should be violent towards uh, uh, anyone. All I'm saying is that in the scheme of things, Sri Lankans are more courageous and more aware than people in the rest of the third world countries are. Uh, but that does not mean that the rest of the third world countries are any better than Sri Lankans are. They are actually far worse. Their P GDP per capita is approximately half as that much of as that of Sri Lanka. And uh, they are actually literally falling apart. Uh, as you know, Maurice, I grew up in India. I have spent about uh, six months over the last one year in India. And I can tell you that country is literally falling apart right in front of your uh, my eyes. And a few months later, we can talk about in India when international media will start covering that how horrendous the problems in India are. I believe words are important. You've referenced the word third world countries. And the mainstream media seems to have a bifurcation here on the wording here. They call these emerging economies. Are these synonyms? Can you expand on that for us? Uh, yeah. The, listen, Maurice, if you work for the World Bank or IMF or any of the big uh, international organization, USAID, etc., etc., you retain your job by being politically correct. So you can don't want to utter anything that offends people of color or women or, or you know there are so many political correct things now they want to believe these politically correct people who are earning half a million or more dollars per year in salaries and often tax-free uh, these people want to believe that these people from the third world countries will be able to compete with Japanese and Swiss and Germans and Americans eventually. Uh, and they want to believe that as a result, the growth rates in the third world countries should be much higher than the growth rates that have been the case in the first world. Uh, now, that's what they get paid to believe in and because they are politically correct. And if they are not, then they get thrown out of their jobs. Uh, and Maurice, as you know, I actually consult some big companies uh, intending to invest in the third world. Uh, and uh, they actually bring me on board to do their dirty job because I am able to say things that uh, some of the aware people in the big companies don't want to utter because they lose their jobs if they say anything against Africans or Indians or Sri Lankans. Uh, the fact remains that the third world countries are not emerging markets. There is nothing about them that tells you that they are emerging out of anything. 
Since the time that the third world countries became independent of European colonizers, they have continued to deteriorate socially, politically, and culturally. In fact, for most of these 70 to 100 years, they have deteriorated economically as well. The only reason they grew economically over, let's say, the last decade uh, for about 10 to 15 years was because an, a technology change happened and they got the free gift of um, technology from the West, which uplifted all ships, uh, even the ones that were otherwise drowning. And that was the only reason why we have this fake feeling in our minds that these third world countries are emerging markets. These are not emerging markets. These are third world countries. They are reverting back to their pre-European tribal past. And you can see, you only see a glimpse of that in Sri Lanka, despite that Sri Lanka is among the best third world countries. Once you start paying closer attention to countries in sub-Saharan Africa or countries in Latin America and particularly countries in South Asia, you realize how horrendous these countries are. The only exception, of course, is China and maybe to a certain extent, uh, Vietnam. Now, this gift that you're referring to, the technological gift, are you referring to the Internet? Uh, yes. What happened with Internet, uh, Maurice, is that it brought the world closer together. A lot of um, back office uh, mechanical work that, let's say, Americans wanted to do could be transported to uh, the back offices in India. So uh, that's how the... Uh, you know, low-level IT software programmers of India came into existence. Uh, that's how the call centers uh, in uh, for some companies shifted to India. Now, suddenly, Indians with exactly the same capabilities were earning uh, instead of uh, uh, one fiftieth of what American was earning to one twentieth of what American was earning, which meant that Amer Indian salary suddenly went up by two, three, four times. Uh, so that was the reason why economic changes happened in India. In isolation, a positive economic change happened in India. But then what happens with these countries is that you pluck the low-hanging fruit and they get eaten away and there's you're back to square one. Uh, now, the one good analogy here is to think about what happens to people when they suddenly find themselves winning a lottery ticket. What happens to them, Maurice? They, within a few years, they revert back to their earlier poverty situation. And with uh, probably STD uh, and some other drug abuse related problems. So this is exactly what's happening to the third world countries. They got this uh, injection of high dose of euphoria because of uh, low hanging fruit brought in by the first world. Uh, those fruit have been plucked up. And because these people in the third world are incompetent to uh, uh, have the economic uh, uh, successes that natural to them, uh, this success has to get evaporated either through war, either through uh, destruction of value or destruction, riots, uh, or whatever you can call it, corruption, a combination of this plus property population growth will eventually result in these third world countries reverting back to their natural order, which is pre-colonial level of poverty eventually. I would say another few years, another few decades, maybe. I would like to offer a, a challenge. After every interview that you and I have, for those that disagree with Mr. Bandari, instead of using a personal attack, is there a way that you're able to refute what he has just conveyed? Because, Giant, I see this all the time. <laughs> Someone disagrees and they go off of emotion and they're offended. But if asked, okay, well, do you have any evidence to suggest something different besides a personal attack? And I never receive a response. Uh, yes, uh, Maurice, you know, I hear this all the time that I'm a paid stooge of China. And usually these are Indians who blame me for this. Uh, but uh, 
or or I am I lick boots of my white masters. Now the reality, Maurice, is that you are a person of color. I am a person of color, and we very well know that uh, talking politically incorrect stuff does not help me in any way whatsoever. Uh, whites white people don't like me for saying all these politically incorrect stuff. But people who live in their narrow space space think that I'm trying to benefit myself financially by saying this. Now, you know very well that if I had uh, taken on the profession of whining uh, in uh, for the people of color, I would have financially done a lot better. In fact, Maurice, I was earning very well before I left India. If knowing how India works, if I had stayed back in India, I would have easily become a multi-billionaire by now. Uh, but I chose to do what is honorable and what is right, or what I consider to be honorable and what is right, rather than uh, chase uh, money. Well, I, I applaud you for that, sir. Sticking with third world economies, India has been in the news lately as they've been touting their relationship with Russia and China. But there may be some catastrophic challenges in India that we're not hearing about. Giant, you have boots on the ground. What has you concerned about India? So, uh, Maurice, uh, Indian currency today is trading at its lowest value compared to the U.S. dollar. Um, Indian economy is literally falling apart before your eyes. Indian social fabric is now uh, 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 teetering. It's it's falling apart at a very rapid pace. Now, forget about all the problems with China and Pakistan and uh, whatnot. Let's talk about the social problems growing in India very rapidly. In 1991, the current uh, a political party that is the ruling political party of India, BJP, decided to demolish uh, a mosque in Ayodhya in, in a part of India. And because that mosque had been constructed uh, likely over an ancient Hindu temple. Uh, now, uh, I don't want to debate whether that was the right thing to do or not. What I want to debate is that uh, Hindus have been rapidly fanaticized uh, in that country. And now, after 30 years, uh, a whole one and a half generation and grow has grown up thinking uh, in terms of Hindu fanaticism. And Hindu fanaticism has grown very, very rapidly. Now, I have nothing good to say about Islamic fanaticism either. Uh, what Pakistan and, uh, and Bangladesh did was that they got rid of their minorities. They forced conversion of Hindus into uh, Muslims uh, and they uh, basically culled them or threw them out of their countries. That's what those countries did. There was no respect for minorities in those two countries. Now, Pakistan made a constitutional change, which is very funny, which is probably unique in the world, where a certain kind of Muslims called Ahmadis are actually uh, seen as non-Muslims. So they are given a very, very low status by the Pakistani constitution. Now, uh, you know, you and I can blame Islamic fundamentalism for many things. But then now you see that India is doing exactly the same thing. Uh, the Hindu fanaticism is trying to destroy uh, Muslims. It's trying, it is, it, it is asserting Hindu supremacy, despite the fact that half of Hindus uh, poop in the open, uh, literally poop in the open. Uh, it's one of the poorest countries on the planet, uh, but they have this uh, grown over the last 30 years because of this constant propaganda about uh, Hindu supremacy. They have become rapidly fanaticized. And then you start to realize that the problem of these people of the third world is not about whether they are Islamic or Christian or Hindus. The problem is their culture. They are third world people. They have third world mentality. They're fundamentally tribal in their thinking. And the moment you're tribal in their, your thinking, you're uncivilized, you lack the concept of honor, you lack the concept of integrity and honesty. And this is what Indians are wallowing in right now. Hindus are wallowing in right now. And again, I have nothing good to say about Muslims or Muslim fundamentalists. But the problem is that the, the overall 
Pakistan, India, Bangladesh are reverting back to their tribal culture. Now, this is not being shown in the international media right now, the massive Hindu-Muslim riots that are taking place in India. Um, and remember, a part of that reason is that the government wants to cover up the economic failures of the government. And these people, because they are junkies, because they are ruthlessly uh, stupid, don't have a clue how to put India on the right course. They prefer to agitate the Hindu masses, Hindu fanatic masses to uh, to fight with Muslims. Uh, but this is going to take India on a worse and worse path. And as I said earlier, revert India back to its pre-colonial, uncivilized, tribal past. Uh, already that country has no concept of honor and uh, integrity, but whatever institutions uh, were left by the British have slowly gone away and will f very likely fall apart over the next uh, few months or the next few years. Is this what low trust societies look like? Uh, yeah, well, uh, low trust societies is an erroneous uh, word for the third world. There's no trust in these societies. Um, in fact, your biggest enemy is your own brother and sister. Uh, now, uh, Maurice, I work in the junior mining industry in Vancouver, and you and I know how many scam scammers uh, exist in that sector. Uh, but even then, uh, you know, once I have a verbal commitment with someone or once someone tells me something, something he is—he might be half true, but he is at least half true. And if he makes a verbal commitment, he's very likely to follow through that commitment, even if he's a crook. Now, everything changes in a third world country. Uh, commitments have zero value. Uh, they, you can write something on a piece of paper and the other party will simply deny that it ever signed on that piece of paper. Uh, so there is zero trust among those people. And that is why I say that in the third world, an organization of two people has one person too many. So uh, low trust is, uh, trust is a European, West European, Western civilization concept. The concept of trust does not exist in the third world. Every single person is after the throat and blood of every other single person. And that is why the third world societies are tribal in nature. Uh, there's nothing cohesive about them. They can't sit across the table and negotiate or agree on anything. They are forever fighting with each other. And what about the, you know, you, you somewhat alluded to it, but the, the government corruption there, is that, I'm, I'm assuming since we last spoke, it's, it's still on a downward spiral. Yeah, well, remember, in a country that has no trust, uh, a country that has no concept of honor, in a country that uh, people don't believe in doing the right thing, they have no passion for justice, uh, they are singularly inclined towards expediency and personal benefits. So 100% of public servants are venal. They are after money. And uh, Maurice, I had uh, recently a reason to meet uh, uh, police officers in the central province of Madhya Pradesh, which is where I grew up. Uh, and I met uh, the people right at the very, very, very top, all the way to the very bottom. And singularly, the only thing that matters is bribes. And these bribes are openly exchanged, openly asked for. You, you they, they expect backfuls of cash. Uh, how it disappears, I'm still not sure of. Uh, but it's absolutely amazing uh, how corrupt and how totally corrupt uh, India is and how totally corrupt these third world countries are. And this is getting worse by the day, despite all the nice talks about how corruption might be improving in the third world countries. You know, in, again, international organization, people get paid to say nice things about the so-called emerging markets. So they want to look at them with rose-colored uh, lenses. And also remember that these uh, people who work in these big organizations travel first class and stay in five-star hotels and get picked up in uh, chauffeur-driven Mercedes from Delhi airport. So they don't really have a clue what is happening in the third world. But corruption is rampant. It's everywhere. It is 
as much there as water is around uh, the fish. You know, I, I was thinking back to a video you shared with me. Now, you referenced that corruption where the politicians and or the police force, those who work for the government, they openly ask, but they also physically demand in some regards. You shared a video with me, and it, that video reminded me of the video footage we used to see of Saddam Hussein where he would go and and uh, beat his citizens. Now, if that video were to be shown, which we can't show, and it's a current video, but if that video were to be shown in the United States, I would just wonder how people would respond to police brutality because it's it's a <laughs> it's a far comparison really with what we experience, what we think is police brutality on a day-to-day basis of someone being pulled over. Someone may complain about being pulled over because of their race or whatever the case may be. When you see this video footage, uh, there's no comparison. Well, Maurice, uh, so the, and the video that I sent you is not an isolated case. This is just the normal way of behavior of the Indian police. It is tyrannical. And when I show that video to my Chinese friends, and as you know, I go to China quite often, they all find it uh, uh, horrible because Chinese police is actually saint compared to the police of the third world. Uh, the Chinese police does not randomly go around abusing people. Now, you can go to virtually any police station anywhere in India and you will find exactly the kind of abuses uh, taking place all over the police stations. Now, of course, uh, one out of uh, 10,000 cases get somehow recorded and they end up on social media and that's how that video came out Uh, but listen over the last few months i have seen an underaged kid uh, kept in police station stripped naked by the police Uh, and you can report about it no one will do anything about it Uh, when the law requires that if anything like that happened the whole police station and the whole police department should have, have been fired but I tell you, I guarantee you, you can report about abuses of police and corruption of the police and absolutely nothing will happen. There is absolutely no checks and balances. And if there is any checks and balances, it's only a facade uh, to show to the gullible public that the judiciary and the government is doing something about it when they are all uh, in bed together having OGs, the judiciary, the police, the government, um, and there's no simply no checks and balances. But more fundamentally, Maurice, you have to remember go revert back to the character of the masses an average indian will provide intellectual support to what the police is doing so when i post a video like that on twitter or on facebook often a comment i get from indians is that hey this was a a, a rioter or this was a Muslim fanatic. Uh, The problem is what he does not understand is that these police people are amoral people. They are not doing this because that guy is a Muslim fanatic, but because the police guy gets instructed by a Hindu fanatic to beat up the Muslim fanatic. Now, you might be getting, uh, bringing in control islamic fanaticism but we are you are giving fire to hindu fanaticism as a result Mm -hmm. and you are just changing the kind of fanaticism it is but an average indian guy simply does not get it and that is why i tell those people that you are exactly the reason why india continues to degrade because you are the middle class so-called educated people and you contribute to taking India back to its um, pre-British colonial, uh, tribal, uh, immoral, dishonorable past. Now, the video I'm referring to, where can we find that video? Oh, you can go on my Twitter and uh, uh, you you will be able to uh, find it. Uh, You can actually probably also... Uh, link it, uh, play it on this uh, YouTube uh, uh, discussion that we are having. Uh, But again, this is nothing abnormal about it. This is exactly how the police in India conducts itself. Well, I can share that. I know that YouTube will not (laughs) allow me to show the video. So I'll tell you what, at the bottom of this interview, there's a description box. We'll link your account there and anyone interested in watching it can watch that and be advised. I wouldn't... uh, you know, viewer discretion is advised, wouldn't have your children watch it, 
but it's uh, it's paramount that you see what happens in the world and you may appreciate where you are here in the west per se compared to other places now before we leave the east let's visit china what are your thoughts on china's covid lockdown uh, well it's very difficult to have a very clear um a uh, view on what china has been doing in beijing and shanghai my immediate re- reaction is that uh, these the shanghai lockdown was horrendous um, I, and i overall i have developed a relatively negative view about xi jinping uh, who wants to continue being in power and he's playing games uh, very likely in shanghai to ensure that uh, shanghai government looks bad so that he can continue to uh, win the election that is happening in october now he is very likely to win anyway but he wants to concretize his position uh, that's what i hear from my friends uh, so this is a negative thing negative factor in what's been happening in china uh but remember the lockdown hasn't been um, much nicer elsewhere in the world look at uh, australian police beat up its citizens uh, dutch police beat up its citizens uh, during lockdowns canadian canada continues to impose a tyrannical uh, lockdown regime in the country Uh, which means that uh, Maurice you as a non-canadian has a has a huge problem flying to canada today so um, you know china did a horrendous uh, and something i call a bad way to lock down the country but was it any worse than what uh, many other countries did i i'm not sure but certainly from the chinese point of view what china did was a step back in its continual progress now in the past you've shared that you like china but that should not be conflated with the chinese government and that begs the question aren't the citizens a reflection of their government oh yeah i think uh, they in a way you should conflate the government with the people uh, but uh, you know i have uh, you know people who work for the government are usually losers people who work for the government are people who cannot find um jobs in the private economy people who want uh, lazy lives uh, prefer to work for the government everywhere on the planet so that's what uh, so i am not in any way going to say that ch- people who work in the chinese government are enlightened people uh, but uh, what i would say is that chinese culture continues to improve and as a result it applies pressures on the chinese government to become more humane and nicer so if you look at uh, what uh, government did in shanghai during the lockdown there was a blowback in shanghai uh, there was a repulsion revulsion that people in shanghai felt uh, because of this atrocious lockdown and chinese government has to be more careful now remember governments usually tend to be amoral anyway they want votes they want support by the citizenry Uh, but if they f- see that citizenry is opposing their wicked ways they will uh, back down and that's what might happen in china i continue to be very very optimistic about china uh, maurice i have been to four or five countries uh, over the last two months i was traveling nonstop for six weeks uh, recently uh, and i tell you every time i meet chinese when i travel i see overall the quality of chinese continuing to improve and whenever i go to china and i haven't been there for two and a half years now but whenever i go to china i say tell myself hey this place is better than what it was like when i last visited it leaving the east let's visit the west and stick with the covid restrictions what can you share with us about the canadians and their covid restrictions um well if you are uh, not vaccinated as a non citizen you cannot fly into canada if you are not vaccinated as a canadian you can't take any planes or bus or train uh within canada uh so those people who have decided for whatever reason not to get vaccinated uh are stuck wherever ever they are they are prisoner of Justin Trudeau's government and this is completely irrational even China has not been that tyrannical in fact remember most of China has never been under lockdown ever at any point of time no more than 4 or 5% of chinese citizens were under a lockdown but 
Canada continues to carry on this completely stupid policy of ensuring that anyone who is not vaccinated cannot do anything in Canada or leave Canada. He is a prisoner in Canada today. And this is the problem with Canada. When you arrive at an international airport in Canada, you are likely to be chosen for a, a so-called random test. <laughs> Uh, and I, I say likely to be chosen because my guess is about 20 to 25 percent people get chosen for random test. And that's a money grab. Uh, this laboratory, which is doing the testing, uh, is very likely directly or indirectly getting bribes through lobbying or through indirect support to politicians, whatever is happening. But this is a money grab. Um, I was selected, of course, uh, as I was likely to. And I talked with people around me and they all said that they, they keep getting selected uh, because uh, the ratio of those randomly selected is so high. And then my report came to me by email uh, the next day and the report wouldn't open so i wanted them to send me a report in a format that would open and they never responded to me while they kept on sending me threatening emails about uh, what i should be doing based on what my report was like and i basically tell, told myself that if i were positive it was their job to chase me down uh, so i carried on with my life but they never sent me a proper report and they probably didn't want to do that anyway because it's a money grab you know, it's mind-boggling that the vaccinated have to be protected against those that are not vaccinated. I just can't figure that one out. <laughs> What's the purpose of the vaccination? Yeah, Maurice, I have nothing against the vaccine. If it works for you, if you have thought through it, take it. Uh, and I don't, uh, uh, I think this is not a public thing. If you want to take it, just take it and keep your, your sex life and vaccine lives uh, personal. Couldn't say better. Leaving Canada, you shared something with me regarding the United Kingdom and that the that people are actually flocking to the UK. What's going on there and uh, why? Well, I was in the UK uh, three weeks back, uh, Maurice, and uh, UK is a lovely place today. You there is no questions, no checking, no restriction to do with COVID today. You don't need to show them your vaccine passport. You don't have to do any testing before you depart or arrive in, in the UK, United Kingdom. Uh, it is a fully open country. COVID has been erased completely from their uh, public uh, policy today. Uh, you can travel in buses in uh, uh, London without any COVID restrictions. It's just complete. COVID has restrictions have completely gone from the UK. So those people who are looking for some freedom find UK to be a hospitable place to visit. Uh, it's easier for tourists, uh, easier for, you know, Canadians, of course, can't even leave Canada if they are not vaccinated. So they are prisoner of Justin Trudeau. Uh, but those people who can at least depart their home country, they can go to the UK. And UK is a lovely place. I love the UK leaving geopolitics and on to investments. What are your thoughts on the natural resource space at the present? Uh, Maurice, uh, what people have to really remember is that uh, commodities are different from mining companies. And when people uh, uh, combine the two together, they create all kinds of confusions in their minds. Commodity prices have done extremely well. Gold price has done extremely well. Uh, now, it does not feel like to a lot of people because what they erroneously do is that instead of buying physical gold or physical commodities, they end up investing in mining companies thinking that mining companies would respond to changes in the underlying commodity prices. Now, uh, you can very easily correlate uh, GLD with GLD, uh, GLDX and uh, GDX, and you realize that uh, consistently gold seems to outperform mining companies and junior mining companies. And similarly, you can do uh, compare copper price with copper mining companies. And you realize that there's nothing, no leverage associated with copper mining companies. So you should invest in mining companies, but 
you should invest in mining companies as businesses and not as a proxy for underlying commodities. For, if you think gold should go up, just invest, buy physical gold, and that is your only way to protect yourself if you think you have a thesis about gold. May I ask, what are you buying right now? Oh, I am buying, a, I'm investing a lot in junior mining companies. I actually uh, got a, a significant amount of cash uh, two weeks back and I invested all that into uh, a single junior mining company. And uh, I think uh, a lot of these junior mining companies are trading at a woefully uh, high discount to their inherent value. So I am hoping to do very well over the next few months, over the next few years, uh, investing in junior mining companies, uh, but I invest in them as uh, businesses, not for the underlying commodities. Now, when it comes to arbitrage opportunities, your name is second to none. Do you have any opportunities to share with us? Well, one company that uh, I think people should be looking at, and actually this company was brought to by to my notice by you, Maurice, is a company called Pan Orient Energy. The ticker in Canada is POE. Uh, and I think it should come uh, down to about $1.02 or lower. Uh, and at that price, you should have an extremely good downside support and a nice upside. I wouldn't buy it above $1.02. My buy order is sitting at that price. And I think before the merger completes, uh, the share price should fall to $1.02. And th there's a reason behind it, Maurice. When a merger is announced, there's a lot of excitement in the market. The news is in the minds of people. The volume is very high. So the 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 valuation of a company goes up because the big uh, big rich people with a lot of money don't care about uh, five or ten percent uh, of uh, benefit. They just want the volume. Uh, but uh, if you are a retail investor, you can wait for another month or so. And my guess is that the share price of POE should fall to one dollar two cents Canadian or lower, and that's when the downside support will be very nice and the upside should be very exciting. Well, I have to defer the recognition of identifying this opportunity. It came actually from a very valued subscriber, Mr. David Page. I definitely want to recognize him from Florida. Mr. Page, all credit goes to you on this one. Uh, leaving resource stocks, give us your thoughts on the price movements of physical precious metals. Are you surprised they haven't responded with higher prices based on the dire economic situation we're facing? Well, it's hard to disagree with you, Maurice, and I must disagree with you here. Um, gold price, for example, is trading at its highest in Japanese yen, which is uh, about, which is among the most important international currencies. Now, if you think about um, gold only in U.S. dollar terms, you might think that U.S. Gold has stagnated, but even then gold has done extremely well, except that it has stagnated perhaps for the last two years. Uh, it is only down about 10% of from its uh, highest ever. So there's nothing wrong with how gold has performed. It has done extremely well in uh, US dollar and it has done extremely, extremely well in non-US dollar currencies. So uh, I have nothing bad to say about gold. Uh, when we buy gold, we are not trying to make money from that uh, uh, buying it gold is not an investment it's a protection from destruction of your uh, wealth um, and i think gold has done a reasonably good job of it now remember in retrospect i can always find what would have been a better investment than gold uh, but uh, you know uh, in hindsight we can always find we you know if 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 i could go back 5 years back and knew exactly how the future would turn out i would have become the richest person on the planet so uh, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, gold price hasn't uh, maybe done as well as what people expected, but gold, in my view, has done very well. In most currencies, it has done very well. Uh, and I continue to see a good future because, Maurice, uh, remember, gold stays between 1800 and uh, 1950 or so. So gold price has been fairly... 
resistant to falling below um, $1,800 per ounce American. So, uh, you know, it, it, it has a good support. And I think everything shows me that gold will continue to do better over the next uh, few months or few years. From a scale of 1 to 10, 10 meaning the highest, what number would you assign to owning physical precious metals right now? Oh, I, I would certainly, uh, today gold has fallen to 1826 US dollar per ounce, and I think it's a very good price. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, at some point of time gold price goes up 20-30% overnight. Uh, but again, uh, I don't, people shouldn't be investing in gold expecting a price appreciation. They should be ex- in buying gold not as an investment but just a way to protect their their capital uh, because capital is at a massive massive amount of risk right now there is so much of uncertainty and i'm absolutely sure something uh, over the next year will do better than gold uh, but if you want to take the best probability guess on what is the best way to protect your wealth uh, gold is among one of them well, I know our subscribers value your opinion here. So again, I just want to confirm here on a scale of one to 10 and 10 meaning the highest, what number would you assign to precious metals right now? Um, I, I would say five. I, I think people should keep a, a, a part of their net worth in gold, a part of their net worth in, let's say, silver. But they should, of course, invest their money where they think they can get uh, a good bang for the buck. Uh, and uh, they should look at investing in East Asia. They should look at uh, some of the nice uh, venture companies that could be mining companies or non-mining companies that actually have inherent value using the current uh, price of the commodities which precious metals would you prefer to own physically and why um, i mostly focus on uh, gold and silver because they are the only two precious metals uh, maurice um, the uh, platinum palladium are uh, sort of dependent on their industrial usages and also on the moodiness of south africa and russia so uh, the, the, there is a in my view, a higher level of volatility in uh, those metals, uh, which does not mean that as a part of portfolio, I wouldn't buy them. Uh, but uh, I, I prefer to focus on gold and silver myself. I think you answered my next question, which is what financial words of wisdom would you like to impart for someone that does not own physical precious metals. And I think you've kind of covered here. Uh, but I do want to take this moment to remind our audience members that I'm a licensed representative for Miles Franklin Precious Metals Investments. I'd be delighted to speak with you regarding your next bullion purchase. Give me a call at 855-505-1900. That's 855-505-1900. Or just email maurice at milesfranklin.com. Dot com. That's Maurice at milesfranklin.com. Now, all of the aforementioned are impacted by a subject matter, which you are very passionate about. And uh, that is virtually, in my opinion, undetected when discussing politics and finance, which is philosophy. You've made philosophy the modus operandi of your life's work. From a philosophical viewpoint, what do you see happening in the world that has you troubled or excited? Uh, well, Maurice, I grew up in uh, in a hellhole and uh, a country and a society that continues to become uh, a worse and worse hellhole, a rotting, rotting, bubbling shithole. Uh, and uh, the what conclusion I came to was that there were uh, certain values that a society must have it, if it wants to become a civilization. Uh, and what you see is that uh, West Europe and uh, East Asia and particularly Korea and Japan and historical China, they managed to create values within their societies, which were actually very similar across these uh, West European and East Asian societies. Uh, and these were the values of honor, honesty, trust, uh, integrity. Uh, etc., etc., and these values were conspicuous uh, by not being present at all 
um, sorry, their their absence was conspicuous in the third world countries and the society that I grew up in. And I realized that uh, you have to have certain values to convert a society into civilization. Um, and uh, that is what philosophy is all about. It's the right way of living, how right way of generating social values that enable your society to become a civilization otherwise we just stay animalistic which is driven by sex and food and expediency and uh, craving for natural resources natural resources means just consumption resources which is what the third world countries are all about today yeah you can't put a price tag on the intangibles in your opinion why is philosophy disregarded when discussing politics and finance when they're so interconnected? Um, well, uh, I, I think it depends on who you are talking with. Uh, talk with people like Doug Casey, for example, and uh, Adrian Day, for example, and they are prolific readers. Uh, they they talk a lot about philosophy. You come, and I'm, I'm sure we are going to talk about my seminar in a bit, but uh, look at the speakers at my seminar. A lot of them are financial, econom financial people, they're economists, they are involved in politics, uh, and they are deeply involved in philosophy because they understand that the underpinning aspect of all successes is philosophy. If you were to speak to the next giant Bandari, where would you point them to begin their studies of philosophy and what words of wisdom would you share with them? Uh, well, I think the best thing is to just visit one of the Western countries and just try to appreciate why they are so functional, particularly if this person came from a third world countries. Don't learn to whine from the woke people of the third world. Just try to be respectful of what you see in the Western countries and why those these people are so compassionate, tolerant, uh, honorable, uh, and respectful towards you. Uh, you know, I constantly heard about the so-called racism in the UK, and UK is not perfect by any means, but uh, compared to where I came from, where I was constantly judged uh, based on what I wore and what I looked, uh, UK gave me a huge amount of intellectual and personal freedom. Uh, and um, so just as a person, as a third, a person from a third world country, just try to learn and imbibe uh, what makes those these societies what they are. If you are a person in a third world country and you're not, you don't have the resources to travel, a great resource, probably, in my opinion, the best resource that you have besides that is to visit a philosophical forum based on reason, argumentation, and liberty, which is capitalism and morality, which is, of course, your, your uh, I should say, your baby here. <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful piece of work. You referenced some of the speakers here. What are the dates, location, and who are this year's keynote speakers, sir? Um, this year, it will be held on the 20th of August, 2022. The date has been confirmed. Um, I am about to choose between uh, a, uh, between a certain uh, halls, but they, they are all within one or two block uh, different distance from each other. So this will be held in downtown Vancouver. Um, we will have uh, the... The, the usual people I uh, invite, uh, Rick Rule, Doug Casey, uh, Adrian Day, Jeff Deist uh, from Mises Institute, Dr. Walter Block from Mises Institute, uh, Mickey Fulp, uh, Michael Edelstein, uh, Mark Victor, who is an American, uh, a lawyer uh, who fights for human rights. So a, a lot of uh, the speakers uh, uh, in that one day seminar. And again, for the person, I'm, I'm going to speak directly here to the person that's in a third world country. You just you, sh you alluded that it's in Vancouver, and we shared, hey, if you if you're capital constrained here, you can't afford it. Remember that you can visit Mr. Mandari's website. Mr. Mandari, please share your website with us. Uh, the website is jayantbhandari.com, and there's a tab called Capitalism and Morality there. Uh, that tab takes you to all the videos, all the videos of the past seminars, and it also takes you, takes you to the registration page for the next seminar. In closing, sir, what keeps you up at night that we don't know about? 
Uh, well, I mean, uh, Maurice, we talked a lot about uh, the third world countries. And uh, I think one thing uh, people should increasingly pay attention to is Latin America. Uh, Chile is increasingly becoming rapidly leftist and they might bring certain changes that will tilt the balance of Chile into leftism. Several people I know have left Chile already because they see a bad future in Chile. Um, the second thing is that Colombia, which is probably among the most important Latin American countries, might end up electing a communist as their next president. Now, even if they don't, the fact remains that uh, overall Colombia is becoming rapidly leftist. Uh, you have seen the same thing in Peru. Uh, so the, the problem with Latin America today is because America is becoming increasingly weak and increasingly woke, Latin America will continue to become a leftist and lifestyle oriented and woke. And that is not going to end up well for Latin America. Ms. Bandari, last question. What did I forget to ask? Um, well, uh, you know, we have talked about Latin America, and I think we should uh, just pay attention to what's happening in the third world countries. We are two-thirds of the world's population live and societies, they are fragmenting very rapidly. And unfortunately, Maurice, uh, if we really understand the third world values, we realize that the woke values that we have accepted in the Western world that have become increasingly an inherent part of Western institutions is nothing but the feral third world uh, uh, values which are valueless, uh, hedonistic, uh, exploitative values which will destroy the West eventually. So uh, I am, of course, very pessimistic about the Western society as time goes by. And I think people should look at East Asia because East Asia, including China, continues to improve and continues to uh, resist the woke uh, stupidities that are currently happening in the West. Mr. Pandari, give us that website one more time. Uh, Jayanthpandari.com Mr. Bhandari, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Wishing you the absolute best, sir. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Maurice, for the opportunity. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor. 